Welcome back to the Free Your Energy podcast. I'm so excited for this week's guest, Dr. Amy Shaw, author of the best-selling book, I'm So Effing Tired, a proven plan to be burnout, boost your energy, and reclaim your life. This episode is for you if you struggle getting to sleep at night, if you don't get the sleep that you need, if your habits are making you live a life where you're constantly burnt out, you're exhausted, overwhelmed, you're putting too much on your plate. This is an interesting conversation to get into because it can go many different ways. It definitely has to go the nutrition route because we do need to examine what we're eating because food is fuel. Especially here in America, we've, we've bought into this concept that food is fun and food is play. And I'm not going to tell you to, to not view it as that. But what we have to recognize and what we have to agree to is that food is fuel. And what you put in your body dictates your life. Those are the facts. What you put in your body dictates your life. And it's not, that's not just food. That's also liquids. That's also the skincare routines that we have. That's also the amount of sunlight we get, the exposure, the environments that we're in and what we're exposed to also. What type of toxins are we, are we around? This, this conversation matters. And that's why talking with Dr. Shaw was such a beautiful and fun experience because she brought us into the nutrition and then also brings us in to the lifestyle perspective where we get to talk about, are you sleeping? Are you allowing yourself to go on that regenerative process of regenerating yourselves and healing, which is what sleep is doing for you? I personally loved reading her book. I'm so effing tired. I, I got it on audiobook uh, first. And then when I met up with her, we, she, she gave me the book. Now, this is actually our second podcast. The first one that we did, we did not air. It didn't, it didn't get aired. Uh, we decided that we wanted to re-record it. I, th I think her mic was unplugged or my mic was unplugged. There was something of that nature. And that just speaks to the giving and loving nature that she has. Because she could have said no when I said, hey, could we do that podcast again? Because we had a technical difficulty. And without hesitation without any anger, without any disappointment. She said, 100%, I would love to speak to your community. I want to speak with them and I want to be a part of your community. And to me, in my opinion, those are the type of people who I trust. Those are the type of people we can build community with. Those are the type of leaders that, that heart-centered leadership that is desired and that I'm sure we all crave. Another aspect of our conversation that I really loved, and we'll, you'll hear that at the very beginning, is so, so just so you know, Dr. Amy Shaw, she's a, she's a double board certified doctor. And at the beginning, she talked about how she went to a doctor for her fatigue and the doctor couldn't properly assist her. And I think that that's beautiful because as a civilian, Oftentimes, we submit our trust to doctors or to politicians or to the principal or to the whoever, whoever is in a quote-unquote title of leadership. We often submit our trust to them without ever second-guessing them or questioning them. So to hear a doctor say, hey, you're not, you know, my own doctor didn't give me what I needed. I think that's beautiful. And I think that also is an invitation for us to recognize that if a doctor saw another doctor and that doctor didn't get what he or she needed and then went out on his or her own journey to investigate, to dive deeper, I think that's it as an invitation for us. Yes, I can trust you as, you, you know, the, the leader of this, the situation or the circumstance, but I also have a duty within, within my own power and my own path to also investigate. Although you may have the title and although you may have the letters and although you may be the leader, 
I'm still allowed to investigate for myself. And I find that to be beautiful. This conversation with Dr. Amy Shaw. The, pur the purpose is to invite you to investigate how you're living. We get into talking about cell phones and computer and blue light. We didn't really explain what blue light is, but if you, if you when you get to that part, I want you to know that the blue light is the light that's emitting from your devices, from your cell phone, from your computer, from your TV screen. And that blue light, it keeps us up. It keeps us, it keeps us in a state of alertness because our body looks at it as, you know, fight or flight. So our body looks as, at it as, hey, you might be threatened. Because historically, the sun goes down, right? Like, I want you to think about when there was a time before cell phones and before the light bulb. Like, like really try to, try to go. I know it's hard for us to do it with our modern brains. Uh, but, but try to go back and think. What were people doing before there was light? Well, they were going to bed. They were on what's called the circadian rhythm. Their body was in tune with the sun. When the sun rises, they would rise. Grand rising, rise with the sun. And when the sun was set, they would set. That's the power of language. If you listen to, the, if you listen to language, you can use language for your power. The sun rises, you rise. The sun sets, sun set, your body sets. But what we have gotten into in our modern world is, okay, the sun has set. Let me turn on all the lights in the house. Let me get on Skype. Let me get on FaceTime. Let me get on NBA 2K. Let me get on Netflix. Let me get on this drama show. Let me get on YouTube. Let me, let me get on work emails. Even though I'm off the clock, I'm still on work emails. Let me get on text messaging. Let me get on the dating apps. Let me get on whatever, whatever it is. And, and I don't name those things to shame them because use them. I mean, we, we have a great, great time in our society where we do have access to a lot of entertainment, entertainment that can also be educational, thought provoking, and hell, there's nothing wrong with it just being entertaining. But the problem that, that we have here is that we're, you, we're, we're doing those things at the wrong time. And that's causing us to throw off our circadian rhythm right which is our rhythm our body's natural rhythm with the sun and then that's causing us to get into these patterns of fatigue and tiredness and overwhelm and brain fog and lowered cognition and what i'm after in this conversation with dr amy shaw is two two things one why do we do these things and like how do we how can we come out of it You'll hear me ask her that several times. I'm like, okay, how do we, so how do we begin to work with that? Because it's not about shaming the behaviors. It's not about saying, oh, well, you text at night and you know you shouldn't. Shame on you. That's not going to help us. My question is, okay, how? How do I begin to work with this so I can get back on the circadian rhythm? Not only from just an eating perspective, but from a sleeping perspective, from a lifestyle and from a behavioral perspective. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. Let's dive in right now with Dr. Amy Shaw. Tell us about your wonderful practice. Tell us about the work you do and why you do it. I've had the pleasure of speaking with you before, so I know about the passion you have behind your work. So talk to us about it. So my work started many, many years ago when I I knew I wanted to do nutrition and how food or lifestyle affects the body because unfortunately for me, I had a family that was very sick. Um, each one of my dad's uh, five brothers and his father, basically every single person that we knew um, had type two diabetes um, and died of heart disease at a very early age. And so I got interested in this very, very early about how food affects this how lifestyle affects it, how genetics affects this. Um, but I went through nutrition and then medical school and I came out the other side and started practicing medicine. And I realized, wow, 
the way medicine is constructed in the United States and all the Western world is nutrition is such a small part of it. And we don't really get a chance to talk to our patients about what they're eating and what they're doing. Like when's the last time you went to a doctor and they had you go through your food diary or your lifestyle in detail. So I started to do this thing where I was going on my own journey of fixing myself. And so I started to share what was working for me and I started to help people on their own wellness journeys. And I started to become like this hybrid doctor where I had this clinical traditional medicine practice. And then a practice where I talked to people about nutrition and wellness. And um, so that's where I am. And I forged a path that's very untraditional, non-traditional in medicine. And there was a lot of heat um, and a lot of pushback, uh, but I'm in a very cool space where I get to teach, I get to work with people, I get to do fun podcasts like this, I get to write books, um, and it makes me feel like, why did I wait so long um, to create um, this for myself and for other people? So when you get into your practice and you're dealing with people and you notice that there's almost a, a lack, right? Like in, there's a term holistic, like holistic healthcare. Mm -hmm. What did you recognize was the number one thing that was missing? And then what, how did you begin to implement that? Because you, like you said, you had the, you became more of the hybrid doctor. Yeah. So how did you implement what was missing? Well, uh, as you know, because you've read my book, um, I had a kind of crisis of my own and I came from the place of healing uh, and learning from my own crisis, getting out of my own dark place and uh, how I was able to do it because I, I, like so many people, was I was tired and I was burned out and I had all these GI complaints and anxiety and I couldn't sleep and and I went to the doctor and I didn't get an answer like so many people. In fact, all of our, our, our concerns of being so tired or, you know, being burned out or all of this is something that's just ignored and pushed to the side. So as I started to find um, answers for myself and I was able to get myself out of kind of a really, I call it a dark place because it was not just, you know, fatigue, but it was also feeling not enough and anxious and disconnected from my work. And, um, and that's why I think a lot of people equate that as like depression or anxiety disorder. And, um, and they get like prescriptions because, um, Western medicine doesn't really know what to do with you if you come in with these complaints and your labs are normal. So, uh, basically as I started to see, wow, there's so many people who are just like me who are suffering from fatigue, suffering from burnout, don't know where to go when things turn out quote unquote normal at their doctor's office. And some of us don't even go to the doctor, but if we do, we end up getting, you know, say them saying like, Hey, you're fine. Just go home. You're getting older. You're working too hard. You know, uh, that kind of thing. And we're just left to, Oh, like, I, I don't even, I didn't even know what to do. And I had like 12 years of experience and then like another 20 years of schooling behind me. Um, and so I can imagine how it feels. So as I found solutions, I started to share them. And that's really how I started helping people is through research myself and doing things that I found um, in the medical literature. And then it's just, I, I failed a lot because some things are not practical and not applicable, but then I found a few things that worked and that's what I talk about. I appreciate your vulnerability to share that, especially as a practicing doctor. We often think uh, all doctors have all the answers right? um, and that assumption is, is simply not logical. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not fair either. And when you said that you as a doctor went to the doctor and couldn't get the help that you needed, that's interesting because that just as a regular civilian of the society that, that we live in here, there needs to be, at least in my opinion, there needs to be some type of trust, right? Like if I'm going to you and you're my practitioner, 
one of the things that's going to make our relationship thrive is that trust. I trust that what you're prescribing to me or, or describing to me or telling me or observing within me, whatever, or whatever experiments you're doing uh, at the end of the day are going to somehow produce, you know, a better life, a more, more efficient health or some type of outcome that either gets rid of my pain or discomfort. So for you to go through that on your own, like, I think that speaks volumes. And one of the things you talked about in your book was the energy trifecta. Can you talk to us about the energy trifecta? I feel like the energy trifecta, which you put in chapter one, is a great introduction into the overarching view of your, of your work. Yeah. So can you break down the energy trifecta and how we can become to understand what that is? So first of all, I want to highlight that, you know, if you are someone who went to your doctor and didn't get answers, you are not alone. I was not alone. And I found out recently that only 3% of people who are suffering from fatigue ever get a medical diagnosis. A lot of them do get prescriptions though, especially for antidepressants, anti-anxiety and sleeping medications. But only 3% get any diagnosed with any kind of disease. So what happens is 97% of us have, you know, no direction. And a lot of us get prescriptions where we have no end date and no, uh, there's no counseling around, you know, Hey, here's ways to improve your anxiety, your depression, or your sleep issues. Um, you're just kind of given these and left, um, to your own defenses. So what I discovered in, through the research, um, when I was in immunology fellowship, I learned that the immune system, the gut and hormones are completely connected in a way that I don't think we ever really talk about or realize. So what, what that means is our gut bacteria are actually like soldiers and they are communicating through walkie talkie with our immune system at every moment of the day. And they're all talking to our hormonal system in our brain and everybody is in communication at all times, kind of like a well-running army. And when we throw off any of those three systems, hormones, immune system, or gut, we're shortchanging that uh, communication. And then you're not going to get a strong immune system, a strong gut or strong hormones, you're basically going to feel tired. You're going to be sick and you're going to get chronic diseases. So I learned, oh, wow. If we take care of that energy trifecta, we can actually feel a thousand times better, which I didn't even know was possible um, until I found out about that connection. And that that's the first time I realized that there was a nutrition burnout connection that what we eat and put into our gut can affect our everyday mood and uh, energy levels. So where do we begin? If we recognize I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm, I'm dealing with fatigue, anxiety, all, all the things, where does, where does a person begin? You know, because for a regular person walking the streets, they may not be able to tell you about their hormones. They may not be able to really talk to you about immune system or, or gut health. So take us another layer into that. How do we begin to work with the energy trifecta yeah. so we can work on, you know, fatigue and in, in our energy? That's such a great question. And that's why I wrote, I'm so effing tired is because I wanted a solution. Um, I wanted a toolkit for people to have, not necessarily a one size fits all, but somewhere that you can start. If you're like, I'm tired and I'm burned out and I don't know where to go from here. And if you are picking up the book, you've probably already had a physical with some blood testing. And if you haven't, I say right in the beginning of the book that, you know, even though 3% is all that we can diagnose, we need to look at that. I say in the beginning of the book that you really do need to get blood testing, even if it's only 3% of people that are being diagnosed with a medical cause of fatigue, you need to rule those medical causes out. And then I think you need to start, number one is your nutrition. 
Nutrition is the number one way to heal that energy trifecta. Changing the way you eat, changing when you eat, changing some lifestyle habits um, that we think are just normal, but that are really destructive to our health. Um, Start there. So I say what you eat, when you eat, and how you think. I think these three things, how you think is like stress control. Um, These three areas are the first three steps that you would take if you're trying to fix your own fatigue and burnout. Okay. So I I come to you, I come to your practice and I say, Hey, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. And you say, okay, Sylvester, we need to talk about what you're eating when you're eating. And the very first thing I'm going to, this is going to cause some conflict here. And I I say back, I say, well, I don't want to change what I, what I'm eating. I like what I'm eating. How do you, how do you respond to that? How do you begin to work with that? You know, in a way, we're always saying that. That's why everyone fails on diets because we're always not verbally saying it, but in our in our minds, in our spirits, we're saying, "I know what I'm supposed to eat, but I don't want to eat that." You know, I want to eat what's comfortable to me, what's comforting to my brain, what gives me the feel good chemicals when I eat them when I eat it. So I get it. Uh, that's what we're doing right now. We are saying we kind of know fruits and vegetables are good for us. Most people know that yet we continue to eat highly processed foods. Um, so that's why intermittent fasting is one thing that I talk a lot about. Um, in my book, I call it circadian fasting because we're combining the science of intermittent fasting with our internal clock. And I find that it's a really great way to start with, um, healthy habits and then stack things on from there. So what that means is we are not supposed to be eating late at night and we are not supposed to be eating, you know, first thing when we roll out of bed, we need to increase the time between our last meal and our first meal. Right now, we literally only stop eating on average as Americans eight hours. So literally you're eating 16 hours a day all the way until your last snack right before bed. Sometimes for people it's while they're in bed and then they have something as soon as they roll out of bed, like a glass of juice and fruit or muffin or whatever, bagel. And that's partially our culture. Uh, that's created this food addiction, um, these companies that created, and also people who have told us like, who profit off of us eating all the time. Um, and what I ask people to do is think about it a thousand years ago, you did not, uh, your ancestors did not eat until midnight. They were, they didn't have like, you know, Taco Bell drive-throughs and 24 hours microwaves. Um, they usually finished up dinner shortly after sunset or at sunset. And maybe they had a, like a little snack here and there, but their main main meal was done. And then they didn't just wake up in the morning, roll out of bed and eat a muffin. Like that was not possible back then. Um, you had to either gather hunt or whatever, look for your food. And that usually took, um, you know, an hour, if not more, a couple hours. And so evolutionarily and biologically we're wired to eat when it's sun up and eat less or nothing sundown. And that's the way our cells work at their optimal level. That's where our metabolism works at its optimal level. So if nothing else, I ask people to start with that, like maybe take a break for 12 hours instead of eating well late into the night and then first thing in the morning. In your book, in that chapter, uh, the circadian fasting chapter, I think the headline under there said the fountain of energy that nobody knows about. I think that's what, how you, how you worded it. You know, what's interesting is the last time we spoke, I had just signed up with a nutritionist, uh, this for, for those of us just tuning in and needing that context, we already recorded a podcast episode, but we had some technical difficulties with the file. So we're re-recording it. 
And right before we did the recording, I signed up with a nutritionist. Uh, and of course, in her discovery, she's asking questions. When do you eat? What do you eat? Uh, you know, all that, all that good stuff. And I get on her plan and her plan, she, one of the questions was, what time do you wake up? I'm like, oh, about 630 to seven, give or take. She goes, okay, well, I want you, because I want you to speed up your metabolism. I want you, I want you to eat within 30 minutes of getting up. And I said, well, actually that's not practical for my life. Uh, and she goes, why? I said, well, really the way my life is set up, I really like to do intermittent fasting. I don't want to just wake up and start eating because then I eat and I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit down. I said, I really like to start my days with with walks or family time. You know, I like to get hydrated. I like to stretch. I like to really set my intention. Like I have a really, I call it the uh, PMR, powerful morning routine. And eating is not a part of that. That's one of the, that's, that's on the back end of my routine. Sometimes I train and get a workout in. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I read. And she goes, well, you know, if you really want this, you're going to listen to me and you're going to eat within 30 minutes of waking up. You know, just, just throw some food in your mouth. This is the nutritionist. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. I sat with you and our conversation was like three days into this. And it was interesting for me because I sat in a space of conflict because in my heart and with the information and the research I had already seen, I already knew that intermittent fasting was going to be working for me. All right. Everybody, fasting doesn't work for everybody. I knew it was going to work for me. Then I met with, again, and we were talking about trust. I met with the nutritionist and she goes, nope. You need to eat within 30 minutes. Then three days later, I talked to you and you said, no, you should probably be eating with your circadian rhythm. And when I read in your book about the circadian rhythm and how, how every, you say in there that every organism has an internal clock that's connected to the sun and how we're, we're living that way. When I, when I got the research from you, it completely voided what she said to me. And I said, nope, I can't, I can't trust. I can't trust what, what she has to say. So you have uh, the perfect, uh, I'm flipping the book right here. I think it was page, you have the actual clock where you show when we should be eating, when we should be sleeping. Do you recall that, that clock that I'm looking for? Yeah, I know that clock so well because people, it's not traditional. I mean, people like you, what you described to me is rare. So people don't know, or in their hearts, they don't realize that what they're doing is not right. So a lot of people, especially during the pandemic have been sleeping at all hours of the night, eating at all hours of the night and waking up late, you know, maybe, um, eating right when they wake up. And so that clock feels very foreign to them. So ideally uh, people's circadian rhythm. So like you said, I said in the book, every single organism, including bacteria have a circadian rhythm, just like us. Plants have a circadian rhythm, meaning our genes need to know when to turn on and turn off. 80% of our genes have an on and off cycle. Some genes like our, our heartbeat and breath need to be on all the time, but most have a day or night role. So either you're the day shift or you're in the night shift and metabolism's the day shift. Um, and living with that circadian rhythm. So not just eating, but just like living with it can transform your health. We are meant to be awake shortly after the sunrise, and we are meant to start to do repair and renewal in the darkness overnight. And so if you live and support that, you will thrive. I, here's the best way to describe what happens at night to us as traditional, you know, people, because of all this technology, we stand in front of a computer or sit in front of the computer with the TV on, with our computer on, with our cell phone in front of us, with overhead fluorescent lighting. Okay. And our body starts to register like, okay, I need to turn on the night shift uh, workers. I need to repair and renew, but I'm not going to start that if Sylvester's in danger. And what you're telling your body is that you 
are not ready for bed, that you are facing a danger. Your body doesn't know the difference between blue light, TV, computers, and phones, and a danger of like a tiger trying to um, find you for dinner, right? So what it's thinking is that you're staying hyper alert and awake and with brightness because it's too dangerous to go to sleep. And Therefore, we shouldn't turn on our repair and renewal processes right now. We should concentrate on staying alive and, um, you know, stay hypervigilant because we could be killed at any moment. That's what the brain is registering. So that's what we're doing to ourselves every single night. And instead of giving our body the signals like, hey, it's time to turn on the repair and renewal processes, go ahead. I need repair and renewal and the memory and all that, all that good stuff. We are giving them opposite messages by eating, by having blue light, by being stressed at night. And so all these entrepreneurs that you have in your audience and my audience, I urge you all to think of cool ways to support our circadian rhythms. Like our our society right now is built because we had no idea how impactful this was for our energy, our health, our productivity, and our mood couldn't we figure out a way to actually support that by stopping, you know, food at a certain time by by eliminating certain sources of blue light, by eliminating stressful anxiety moments um, late at night, which include email, text, phone calls. Um, our 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 bodies are not twenty four seven. It's not meant to run like that. So there's it's, it sounds like there's a lifestyle consideration that you're asking us to do. You're asking us to look at our behaviors specifically with food and specifically the lifestyles that we're choosing when it comes to at nighttime, for those of us who lack uh, the night routine, we're, we're not allowing our bodies to boot down properly, which the booting down properly is then going to get us the seven to nine hours of sleep that Mm -hmm. we need that allows us to get into that deeper REM sleep where the the healing can take place and the recovery can take place. But if we're only getting, and we all know these people, probably some of the people listening, we're only getting five, six hours of sleep. We're not actually, when we're in our waking consciousness, now we're not optimizing our experience. We're not our best selves because five to six hours, I think you had something in the book about, uh, you you probably know what I'm talking about. The six, if you get six hours of sleep, Pick, pick me up right there. Okay. If you get six hours of sleep or less consistently, you perform at a level of someone who has been sleep deprived for one full week. So you are just as bad at cognition, at mood control, stress resilience as someone who has been in a lab and has not been allowed to sleep at all for one week. So you think that, oh, you know, getting less than six hours. Oh, I can do that. But literally you are acting as if you got no sleep in emotional, um, control in attention span and cognition. So when we're trying to be our best selves, we need to get that proper sleep and we can't get that proper sleep. If we are facing all these blue lights, these disturbances, these emotional disturbances, and food input late at night. And food input is the easiest thing to change. The other emotional input is the hardest thing to change, right? Not having, one of the things I learned that changed my sleeping, I was, had always had trouble sleeping during my medical school years. And one of the things that really changed is that I don't, not only do I not allow food after a certain time at night, I also don't allow emotional exchanges. Like I don't check my email. I don't um, answer phone calls. I don't have heated conversations. I don't watch um, or you know listen to news um, because I'm trying to prepare my body for renewal and repair and switching to the night mode. And if you keep your senses hypervigilant and you're stressed and talking about something anxious or you're around someone who's anxiety provoking, um, you will not be able to sleep because your body will stay in that hypervigilant. Even if you're lying down, you're still not getting that restorative sleep. So one of the best things I know you talk about removing toxicity from your life, but it's especially important that 
two to three hours before bed because you don't want to put your brain into that hypervigilant stress mode where the body sees that as a danger, like, oh, he's in danger, she's in danger, we got to stay awake and we don't want to repair and renew yet because they need to fix their danger. And then what happens? You wake up, you're exhausted, you can't think straight, and um, it starts all over again. So COVID crisis, one of the biggest things that people felt was this, was that disturbed sleep, inability to fall asleep, inability to stay asleep. Because what did we do? We watched the news. We heard about, you know, family and friends getting, uh, going to the hospital or dying or being sick. We watched the news media who are trained to trigger that part of our uh, nervous system that senses danger. So we read these headlines and we're like, oh my God, the world is falling apart, right? So nope, you couldn't sleep. And the diagnosis of sleep disorders, anxiety, of fatigue, of burnout skyrocketed during this past year and a half or whatever, almost two years it's been. And you think about uh, a person who is operating on six hours of sleep, their brain cognition and their brain fog is not optimal. Then let's combine with the fact that we all want to live our lives. And what do we have in our lives? Well, we have friendships, we have relationships, we have jobs or we have careers or we have schools or we have things that we're pursuing. And each one of those pillars brings about, you know, some type of stress. There's some type of stress with everything. Even if you love your career, you love your, your husband yeah. and, and wife, your kids, there's always an element of stress. So then you're what we're doing is we're getting into this lifestyle of compounding where the root of, hey, let me take care of myself, self-care, self-love is take your ass to bed. <laughs> you're not <Yeah>. doing that. <laughs> and then you're not sleeping. Now, how are you going to deal with the kids screaming at 7 a.m.? How are you going to deal with, oh, well, you missed this paper you had to turn in and now you're, you might fail the class? How are you going to deal with, man, I'm running a little bit late for work? You know, as a matter of fact, you went through that when in your book, you talked about the story of the car accident you got into where, tell us, tell us about it. That, that was me. I was, I couldn't even believe the person that I had become. I was so short with everyone around me. I wasn't able to be giving, um, flexible and, um, giving people the benefit of the doubt because you know what? I wasn't taking care of myself. And I know you talk about this all the time, but when you don't take care of yourself and your mind and your body, you cannot take care of others and you cannot be your best self with others. Right? So that's where, where I was. I told myself somewhere along the line that to be a superwoman mom person, I needed to never rest. And I needed to um, be all the things and that sleep and, you know, eating good food and exercise was something that people do as a luxury. And that, that for me, I wanted, I was trying to do it all the super person. Right. So I put myself in a situation where I wasn't sleeping enough because I thought that it was for people who, you know, wanted a luxury. And, I was working so hard as a mom and working so hard as a doctor. One day I got, um, my partners decided that we wanted to do an impromptu five o'clock meeting. And I knew that I had to pick up my kids that day and I couldn't say no. Cause I, I think I, I just felt like, what would they think of me if I said I needed to leave, um, you know, right on time and because I was trying to do all the things. So I sat there and during the meeting, I couldn't even concentrate because all I kept thinking is like, oh my God, I got to go. If I don't leave now, the lady at the center will like say, you know, will think I'm a bad mom and, um, she'll be there and she'll have to hold the center open for my kids, you know? And I was like feeling all that guilt while the meeting was going on. And then as soon as the meeting um, ended, which was much later than I expected, I ran out of the building literally as fast as I could, sprinting to the car, got in the car, went as fast as I could towards um, the center where I was supposed to pick up my kids. And I was making quick decisions, rash decisions, turning, you know, you know, that's 
the feel we've all been there, that feeling of like, I am so late. I need to shave off a second here, second there, anywhere I can. And I look back at that and I think about how then what happened was I got in a huge car accident. And I, when I think back at all those little decisions I was making and could I have maybe, you know, waited a second longer, or could I have seen the car coming towards me and all of that, you know, maybe nothing would have changed, but I felt that I was operating from a place of um, survival and a stress. So as this car accident is happening, the car is spinning for, I felt like it was minutes, um, but it must've been seconds and all the airbags um, deployed and all the, all the glass was like crashing down on me. And as as soon as the car stopped, luckily there was this a median in the middle of this intersection that stopped my car from spinning. I got out of the car and the first thing I said is, I got to go get my kids. Um, because I kept thinking in my head, like, what is that lady at the center going to say when I come in? And I was like bloody and there was um, glass everywhere. And people looked at me like I was super crazy, which obviously in retrospect, that is super, that is crazy. Why, why would you ever say that? But in my mind, I was still trying to be the super person, super mom, super woman. And, um, that week I really had a wake up call cause I couldn't, um, go to work. I was injured. I was, um, out of commission. Um, I felt like I had dropped all the balls. Like, you know, they talk about juggling like glass balls. And I felt like I dropped all of the glass balls all at once. Um, and I had to, had to take a look at my life and I was like, what is happening? I don't feel good. Um, I'm not functioning in a way that I want. I'm acting differently. I, my, I'm like, I have physical symptoms, couldn't sleep. And so, and the biggest the biggest thing was that I was so tired all the time. And so that's, that's the day I changed everything. And the beauty of that story, it's, it's actually a very poetic story. I like how you said you felt like you were juggling glass balls. If we all just take a second to actually close our eyes and visualize a person juggling three balls, right? What we're going to see is a person who is focusing extremely, their eyes are you know, going back and forth and their hands have to move in a certain rhythm. But when you are tired, when you're sleepy, when you're stressed, there's, you can't focus. And that, that just makes a perfect sense is that moment was those balls crashing to the floor underneath you. Like that makes perfect sense. So how do we, we, we recognize now that we need to sleep. Like we need it. We, we know we need it. We yeah. know that we're addicted to our phones at night. We know that we're on social media at night. So Give us a, a framework that we can implement today on how we can use a, a evening routine to shut it down. You mentioned you have a certain time where you're, you, you actually haven't used this word, but what you're describing is your boundaries for how, for yeah. your lifestyle. So talk to us about your nighttime yes. boundaries, things that you don't accept, you're not doing, it, you know, that we can implement, that we can take. Yeah. I love the word boundaries because, you know, in some ways boundaries has a negative connotation, like, oh, she's putting up boundaries, you know, but really what you're doing is actually it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. When you put up boundaries, you become this like super um, loving, giving, bright version of yourself. Um, so nighttime boundaries are huge. So uh, two to three hours before bed. So if you were aiming for a 10 PM bedtime that I do at least 10 PM. Then this is 8 PM for me. Uh, I turn off my, I put airplane mode or silent my phone, um, put it away. I turn off TV and I dim the lights and I start a nighttime routine, which includes, um, you know, uh, reflection. It includes, um, skincare. It includes, uh, everything that I can do that's away from my, my, uh, devices. And what I usually do is the phone is the last to go. Like I will turn off the TV, the computers, um, the overhead lights. Um, and so it's dimmed. Um, and then usually 
most nights around 8.30 or if 8.45 or so, that's when I actually turn off my phone because as you and I both know, we can all live without our TVs. Uh, Some of us don't even watch much TV anymore and even our computers and our fluorescent lighting but we have a hard time getting away from our phones, especially you and I who live in this social media, you know, interconnected world. So I try to shut that that down at least one hour before bed, um, if not at least 30 minutes, but I don't take any phone calls. Uh, I don't have any activating conversations. I don't look at email because for me, if I get an email one hour before bed, that is upsetting or exciting, either one, I cannot sleep. Same thing with conversations. Like I don't have any phone conversations or that are activating or not, um, that time. So I really put up some boundaries on, uh, being able to, uh, reach me. And I make it very clear to everyone who knows me that you cannot reach me after around 8 PM at night. And at first it's, it's, you know, scary, uh, because you think, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? And then you love it. You'll see, you know, whoever's trying this, you can on the iPhone, which is amazing, put a breakthrough phone call. So, uh, like a lot of people tell me, like, are they have an elderly mother or their children, you know, whatever you can do that. So that's very possible. You can turn off your phone, but you can keep it on for the, you know, the people that you need to be in contact with all the time. And then I stop eating, um, two to three hours before bed. So usually if I'm, um, I usually end my meals around 7 PM and then my nighttime routine is starting around 8 PM. And then bed is around, um, 9 30 or 10 PM. And then wake up is 6 AM. And, um, waking up means, uh, going outside shortly after wake up and getting some bright light. One of the best ways to get a good night's sleep that night is to get some bright light in the morning, like natural light. Um, it can be cloudy outside. doesn't need to be bright sun can be just at sunrise. Um, your body your retinal cells in your eyes have direct communication with these circadian centers in your brain to tell when it's daytime. By the way, they can tell the difference between sunrise and sunset because people say, well, how do your eyes, your eyes have sensors that can tell sunrise from sunset um, so that we can tell our brains what time of day it is. And so they can do the functions they need to do at the right times. So my nighttime routine is very, very, um, guarded. I also make sure that I make my, um, bed, bedroom situation that most conducive for a good night's sleep. So science has shown that, um, you have to keep it very cold and very dark. Uh, and you know, with our devices, with all the things we wear and have in our rooms, you know, it's kind of hard to get it pitch black. So maybe you want to wear an eye mask to kind of take away the variables that could be happening. So some people, you know, are by a window or they have light. So wearing, um, a face mask or some kind of blackout, um, situation in your room, making it very cold because one of the things that induces our body to go to sleep is a drop in core body temperature. So you want to make it cold. And, um, if you need to wear earplugs, go ahead. Um, I often do because for me, that's, I don't want to leave anything up to chance. And especially when I travel, I always have my earplugs or face mask. You make it so that you're put, setting yourself up for success. I don't want to leave my sleep up to chance, um, and my nighttime routine to chance, I kind of structure it very, very, um, rigid so that by like eight o'clock is like a hard cutoff for most, most activity for me. And I found that a lot of people that think that they're night owls, if you just cleaned up your evening routine like that, you will notice that you're able to fall asleep earlier and you're able to get up earlier, which can change your life in many, many positive ways. Oh, I 100% am a a living testament to that. Uh, When I first started my entrepreneurial journey about 10 years ago, I was the, you know, I started 
doing it at night because I was working my corporate job during the day. So the nighttime was my only available time. But what would happen is I'd be working till three, four in the morning and then go to sleep, be back at work at like nine or 10. And of course, that's you can't do that long term. Right. And please don't listen to this episode and say, "Okay, well, Sylvester did that. He's successful. I'm going to do that, too. I'm not promoting that lifestyle. I don't promote that grind, hustle, forget sleep. I'm telling you to go to sleep. So that's why I have you on, because you support something yeah. that I believe in so deeply with my body. I used to think, oh, well, I'm, I'm creative at night. I'm a night out. I used to tell myself these, these myths, right? Uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. I used to sell, tell myself these things, and then my behaviors would be these things. But at one point, I hit the wall like you. I was just exhausted. I was tired, brain fog, you know. I was writing and I'm looking at the words like, wow, this is awful. You know, this is awful. Like who who would ever write something like this? You know, of course I was being too critical of myself. So it was then when I said, Hey, I need to value my sleep. And I, I, everything you did or everything you just suggested, I do. The only thing that you didn't mention that I personally do, you said earplugs. What I like to do is, uh, actually put my headphones on and I listen to like calming, you know, yoga music mm. or waves, sometimes the wind, Love just that. the, you know, just the sound to kind of just like low, low you to sleep, like how you do with kids. I do that. So. I love that. And another thing, um, trick that I've learned over the years is the white noise trick is, um, you know, fans or, um, uh, we have like an air purifier that we bought many years ago that just makes the right amount of noise. Um, I don't even know if it does anything, but I just like that noise background noise. And I don't, you don't have to wear earplugs per se. Um, but what you said about creativity, I want to just touch on that really quick because I've, it is true that when you're um, somewhat sleepy, often there's some um, some neuroscience that says that you can be a little more creative because your inhibitions, like the the attention uh, genes, the genes that are regulating your brain so tightly, have gone to bed. And so what I recommend to people, if they're feeling like they want to do something creative like you is take a pen and paper and, you know, without your devices, without your blue light, without all these distractions, write, be creative, do something creative as your nighttime routine. Um, I think that that's a great time, uh, to, it doesn't have to be at 3am. It can be at like 9pm, but something a little before bed is a nice time to do something creative and uh, something that involves um, a little bit of uh, uh, less regulated brain um, brain work. So, for example, you know when I say that the, your regulators have gone to sleep. So, the when you're in the in the daytime, it's it's attention and it's cognition. Um, but sometimes when you're writing and you want to be creative, you don't want as much regulation. And so it's a nice time to do some creative writing as well. Thank you for that. Two more threads I want to touch on before, before we, we part ways for the day. You mentioned, uh, when I mentioned the nutritionist that I was seeing and she talked about starting your metabolism. Can you talk to us about that? Because there's a lot of phrases out there. There's a lot of people that are under assumptions that if you do this, it's going to get your metabolism going and do this is going to get your metabolism going. And you kind of alluded to that your metabolism is more potent during the day and and less at night. Could you Mm -hmm. teach, teach us on that? Yeah. So we use the word metabolism so loosely and we really don't want a super fast metabolism all the time. Um, we, in, in America, we're always, we want a balanced metabolism. We want, um, a metabolism that can be flexible and move from, um, fast to slow as we want. And I think the way, the reason why this misnomer, um, happened is because diet culture happened, right? So, in diet culture, in the studies, it's very clear that when you diet for a certain amount of time, uh, you know, prolonged time, like say three weeks or four weeks, your body tries to compensate because it doesn't want to, if you're eating so little calories, think about it in the wild. If you were only getting a certain number of calories every day, 
your body wants to survive. It'll run out of, you know, it, it will run out of body fat and muscle and it will start starve to death. If it doesn't slow down your metabolic processes. So it says, okay, Sylvester's only eating like a thousand calories a day and I need to survive. Like I, if he keeps doing this, we could die. Right. So your metabolism adapts and says, okay, I'm going to use it, you know, go a little bit slower. I'm going to do a few less things. And so you stop, stop, stop losing weight because your body has learned that you're doing this thing and it needs to survive. So it learns. So it adapts. So there's this thought that if you do the opposite, um, and you're eating a lot all the time that you are going to stimulate your metabolism. And what happened is when intermittent fasting started to become, uh, scientifically sound when they saw it can, you know, improve, uh, heart disease and cancer survival and inflammation and gut health, there was a lot of questions around, you know, but what is it doing to your metabolism? So they did a few studies and they said, lo and behold, short fasts on a daily basis actually either sped up or kept the metabolism the same. It is these prolonged calorie reduction diets that were um, the kind of slowing the metabolism as a compensant, uh, like compensation to um, under eating. When you say slow uh, fast, is that uh, eight to 12 hours? Um, you mean, uh, sure, uh, not slow. Uh, short. like a fast, short. you said a short fast. Short. Yeah. Yes. What's yes. short? A short fast means 12 to, 12 to 16, 12 to 16. Hours okay. Fast. So what that means is when you do short fasts, like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, even up to 18 hours, you're actually like, um, doing the equivalent of a hit workout, um, for your metabolism. So high intensity, um, interval training is hit. So something like sprints, you know, around the block. So intermittent fasting is doing to the body what sprints, um, do to your muscles and metabolism. Like it's a jolt of stress, but then you get all these benefits in, in return. And so it's different, right. From running a slow marathon for, um, two days or whatever, which is more like the chronic dieting. So I found, wow, this is a great solution for one, for people who are trying to be healthy, they want to lose some body fat, but they don't want to cause some long-term damage. Um, this would be, and, you know, we live in diet culture. And so people are always trying to defend the diet culture because that's, you know, they benefit off of it. There's all this theories around it. Um, so breaking that down is difficult, but I've, obviously, you know, you know, intermittent fasting was the most Google diet of 2020. So we know that it's catching on. People are finally realizing that, Hey, you know, eating small meals every two hours, not only is it painful and not, does it not practical for most people, it's actually not really helping you in a way, you'd be much better off by doing an overnight fast. As you know, eating an early dinner is one of the easiest way people will find that they can um, improve their health because they're sleeping lighter. They're making better choices because guess what? 30% of American calories come after 8 PM because Mm. the foods that you choose after a certain hour, like 10 PM, 11 PM, 12 PM or 12 AM are not necessarily the healthiest foods. And so just by cutting that out, by uh, living with circadian rhythms, you're really going to improve. Let me make sure we didn't skip over that. Did you say 30% of calories are coming after 8 PM? Yes. So it seems like to me that if a person was looking to come into homeostasis, to come into a state of balance, to lose weight, gain muscle, whatever the goal is, that nighttime window seems to be the sweet spot for a lot of us to focus on and really examining yeah. what habits we're doing at night. Oh yeah. It's, it's the opposite of what you read on the internet about intermittent fasting, which was like the bodybuilding culture. They found out about it first because they were like, wow, this is way better than eating every two hours from like a, a box. Right. So they found, oh, they can intermittent fast, but the way they were doing it 
was eating late into the night and then fasting all the way until say lunch or one, two, three PM. And what I found is it's the opposite. You should actually be holding back the food in the evening and not waiting too long in the daytime to eat. So the ideal time when we go back to that clock would be to wake up in the morning to exercise shortly after you wake within, you know, like an hour or two of waking and then breaking your fast within an hour or so of finishing that fasted workout. That would be ideal. And then finishing your meals for the day, you know, about three hours before bed. When you brought up the bodybuilding culture, instantly there was this trigger in my body that started thinking about the word protein. Yeah. You, you actually say that protein is overrated the way that we do it in America. We're obsessed with protein. And one of the major things that we're lacking is fiber. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the fiber. Those bacteria that live in our gut that literally are the army for our body, their food is fiber. So we're literally starving these guys because in our diet, 95% of people are getting less than the allocated amount of fiber. And now this, the allocation of fiber, um, is like measly is like 25 grams or something. And we're not even getting that. So what we need to do is, Hey, instead of being obsessed with protein bars and shakes and, you know, sources of protein, we actually should be obsessed with fiber and where are we eating? Are we feeding our good gut bacteria, their food for the day? And what I find is, you know, this focus on protein all the time is, is, you know, we want bigger muscles. We want more, we want to grow, grow. So protein in our body is a growth signal, but growth is great when you're trying to become muscular and you're trying to grow as a child, but growth also means growth of cancer, growth of diseases. And so as we get older, we need to balance growth with anti-aging. And in our bodies, unfortunately, there is, it is opposite. What uh, the growth signals are stop signals for the anti-aging pathways. And the anti-aging pathways get turned on when protein is low in our cells. So intermittent fasting, part of the anti-aging benefits um, are from the low protein state. So what that means is we need to balance, like if you and I are, um, and anyone listening to this is, is trying to be, you know, fit and, you know, lean muscle, but we want to age well, and we don't want to get cancer and heart disease and all these things. We got to keep a balance. We can't be all about the growth all the time. And so what we want to do is we want to focus on growth when we need the growth. And then we want to focus on anti-aging. So ideally what you would do is after your workout, when you're already sending growth signals through your body that, Hey, these muscles that I just worked out, um, need some help, need some food, need some calories. If you eat your protein, time your protein to be shortly after your fasted workout, say, um, you are getting optimal use for that protein instead of, um, getting all these, um, extra growth signals that we don't want. So timing your protein to be during the day and after a big workout is the optimal way of keeping a lean muscle while also turning on the anti-aging pathways. When you fast overnight and you give your body a low protein state for a certain amount of time, that's when the magic anti-aging pathways happen. So we want that. So overnight is the time you want to be pushing the low protein um, and fasting. So that's kind of like a push and pull. So the sweet spot here is tapping into the circadian rhythm and, and eating within that window, getting sun in the morning, getting some type of movement in the morning. What talk, talk to me about, uh, obviously everyone has different types of fitness that they love to do. Uh, but what are, what are some that you recommend? Mm-hmm. When I was stressed, 
when I was so burned out and I thought that the only thing that I could allow myself to do was intense, short, you know, intense sessions of, um, cardio because I thought like, okay, well, I kept thinking in our culture, we get told, um, you know, you don't have time to work out. And if you're going to work out, it better be super early in the morning and it better be very intense. So in my burned out state where I was not sleeping well, I had lots of emotional stress and was never outside my to-do list. So I was always like, you know, never really examining my life. I was around all these toxic people. Then I was waking up super early. I was like skimping on my sleep to do intense workouts, like CrossFit workout and expecting results from them. And what I actually was doing is I was just driving up my cortisol levels and I was putting myself in the state of high stress, which was not conducive to building muscle or to getting lean body, um, you know, losing, uh, body fat. I wasn't getting the gains I wanted, um, in muscle and I wasn't losing weight. In fact, I was feeling more and more inflamed. And I find that so many people are in this, in this situation where they just keep piling on the stress but it's emotional stress and then it's lack of sleep and then it's um, disrupted circadian rhythms and then it's intense exercise. And maybe it's a diet on top of that, which is also a stress to the body. And what you're doing is you're piling on all of the stressors all at once. So what you want to do instead is during the time of intense emotional turmoil, um, conflict, little sleep, or, you know, um, and for women, certain types of parts of their, uh, hormonal cycle, you want to stay away from intense exercise. You may want to do a nature walk, which is, you know, a workout, like calorie burn, but in a way that is calming to your body. You may want to do yoga. You may want to do uh, martial arts and Tai Chi or things that are very calming to your nervous system, yet they provide you with movement. And, um, that's the kind of exercise I think walking is so underrated, especially in nature, going for a nature walk could be, is the top thing you can do for your body, especially when you are in a fatigued, burned out state. Now, I would like to say that when you are not in your, when you're healing, when you're starting to feel better, you can start to add back stressors again. You can add back a intense workout and the feedback mechanisms that you need to look for is how's your energy level? How's your sleep? How's your hunger and cravings? And how's your, for women, how's your menstrual cycle? And if all of those are in check, you can keep adding on more workouts so that you're not stressing your body out like I was and like so many of us are and not seeing the results and in fact, worsening the situation. Dr. Amy Shaw, thank you for your time today. Thank you for this great book. I'm so effing tired. It's the best book of the year. I have it on audiobook. I got the paperback. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for having me again.